0: Welcome back to Spellbound. I'm Julian Smith. I'm Andrew Rader. It is neither with heavy hearts nor jovial hearts that we begin this episode today. We just want to start by announcing that we will be taking a little break after this one. And uh, we're somewhat sad about it, but we're also excited because there's some organizational things that need to change with the podcast. Uh, And, you know, this this is a labor of love for both Andrew and I. This is... Uh neither of our full-time jobs, believe it or not, this podcast. So we're going to be taking a little break after this week to get some new things in order. But it is not the end. It is just a little break. Nothing to worry about. Right, Andrew? Yep. I have a couple things I want to say before we get into the episode on this note. But do you have anything you want to say before I uh, steal um, the intro? Not
1: really. I think we're going to play it by ear a little bit. Uh, get some gas. And are we doing it regularly? I don't know if that we decided exactly what we're doing or yeah. <laughs> That's true. You, so, we so you go ahead. We
0: don't, we haven't even come up with a plan about what the plan is yet, or or <laughs> what the lack of plan is for that matter. So I think we have some talking to do. Uh, you know, this podcast is now officially. This is going on its third year. Uh, started this in 2016 or 2017. Must have been 2017. Um. I was working on it in 2016 because I was working on launching it the second half of 2016. Um, but we've been recording since uh, January of 2017, you know, and I think, Andrew, you and I have come at this from two totally different angles, which is why the podcast is so much fun for us to do. Uh, but also, uh, you know, for me, and I don't know about you, Andrew, but for me, like this has been a really personal uh, thing, this podcast, you know, and and I've just been doing it. Purely because of the love of it. I have even, I don't even know how many listeners we have. Like, I've, I don't look at the, the, the stats, the analytics. I just do this because I love it and because we get to talk to really cool people and it's educational for me and I hope for you and I hope for the listeners. Uh, so, you know, this is just very much a labor of love. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've not taken this podcast as personally as deep personally as i had planned to in the beginning but that's not to say that there won't be more of that more time for that in the future because i think we're not saying goodbye we're just saying ta-ta for now don't go anywhere stay subscribed and we're going to be coming back stronger than ever very soon
1: yeah i mean it's a lot of fun for me it's kind of just like having conversations about interesting topics so you might as well record it and hope other people enjoy it as well (laughs)
0: So we are breaking all the podcast rules. You know, we know you're not supposed to do this. And, uh, you know, I've never been a fan of rules. Anybody who's followed me for any length of time probably just assumes that. <laughs> but in honor of this intermissionary episode today, we will be talking about the history of memes. Not internet memes, although you could say like maybe kind of sort of a little bit. Uh You know, memes, like the idea of, uh, you know, we'll get into it. I'm assuming everybody knows what I mean by memes. And then also the evolution of ideas in general. And I'm excited about this, A, because it's perfectly in line with the uh, whole theme of this podcast, which is kind of like about the nature of ideas and how they can, um, you know, change us on an individual level. But also as like groups of people come together, how powerful ideas are. That's what this whole Spellbound thing is about. So I think it's the perfect episode to go out on for a little bit. Uh, and I'm also really excited because this is going to be a dense one. Like, this is something that we could take. Uh, you, we've talked a little bit about what we're going to cover here, but there is so many different ways we could take this. And uh, I personally am just really excited about the idea of ideas in and of themselves because I was thinking about this when you suggested this idea, Andrew. I was thinking, like, yeah, I mean, like, do are people, are humans the only creatures that have ideas? Because, you know, I think you could find examples of animals uh, you know, like, like dogs, you could say, get ideas like they, they, they know how to be trained, you know, they can, they can learn like very rough English, like single words to like, uh, to get a, to do it, to perform a trick, to get a treat or some food, you know? So that's, is this, is this an example of an idea or, uh, or do you think in your mind is it much, uh, is the, is the kind of idea that that humans involve themselves with much different?
1: I think idea sort of implies human because it, the word implies something that you're conscious of. But but I think that sort of memes and culture, a meme is a transmissible unit of culture. It's kind of like a gene that defines your biology. A meme defines your culture, right? So it's an element of culture that can be transferred. It can mutate, it can change, basically. Um, and in terms of Memes, It's not really an idea, but I think units of behavior, behavioral practices definitely d- do get transferred through animals and, and do get learned and, and that kind of thing. Um, examples are uh, tool use. like some chimpanzees will like use a stick to go and get the termites from the tree orangutans sometimes ride trees as they're falling down just for fun and they see other orangutans doing it and they're like hey that looks pretty cool let's try that too and birds songs uh they sing certain songs and then birds in the local area copy their songs just like how human music works really people hear hey that's a pretty catchy tune i'm gonna make one similar right or even literally just do a cover of, of that song and birds do that and you have that's why you have In a geographical area, all the birds are singing similar tunes, but the exact same species of bird thousands of miles away are singing all kinds of different songs. Right, Mm -hmm. so definitely that kind of meme, that transmissible unit of culture, is universal. And and lots of animals also have that. Um, But that's not really the same as an idea because I don't think that idea sort of implies conscious thought. And I don't think the birds are thinking, "Hey, this is like a really cool song. I'm going to copy this." Right, (laughs) they're just kind of get a load of this jam. Right, yeah. right, right, and I think humans also don't always have ideas. They need human memes, uh, units of culture that are transferable, which is almost everything. It's scary how wide this, how broad this topic is. Um, often these aren't conscious elements either; they're just things mm-hmm. that transfer because they're successful. And actually,
0: people are not
1: often conscious of, of it's
0: them. imitation, right? So, the, it's this idea of memes. It's like uh, it's like so it's in, a, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Imi- imitation is definitely one of the main forms of, of transfer, of, of the continuity of the meme, right? But, but then mm-hmm. there's also the mutation, which is the changing. So, so um, imitation is kind of is the most powerful form of reproduction if you use the analogy of the, the biology of the gene. Um, but
0: the like monkey see also, monkey do to oversimplify.
1: Yeah, 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 monkey see monkey do. Um, but, but there's other things too. Like for example, um, one of the really good examples of, of a meme that transfers is a chain letter. Right? And a chain letter, ah. uh, because people read that, and then the chain letter often says, oh, you'll get good luck if you pass <laughs> this on, <laughs> yeah. and you're going to die, or bad luck if you don't. And people have done studies on chain letters, and the most the ones that get passed around are the most powerful ones in convincing you to pass them along. And what's the purpose of a chain letter? nothing the only purpose of a chain letter is to propagate itself it's exactly like a virus mm. it's, it's exactly an analogy it's a cultural analogy of a virus whose only it's a benign virus is well yeah i mean it takes up some of your time <laughs> so it's not 100% benign but it's not really awful that's either. true Yeah. Oh, wow I mean, good argument you know, yeah true. good um, point but, but if effectively it's a virus and vi- like the reason why a virus makes you sniffle or sneeze or cough is just to transfer itself to other hosts, right? It's so that you spread the germs. That's why it triggers that reaction in in people. Um, and so it's the same thing as a chain letter, right? So you, a chain letter. Hold on a second. Uh, Isn't it? Wouldn't yeah, it be? Yeah.
0: Wouldn't it be that the the, uh, uh, the cough mechanism is there to get it out of? It's a defensive mechanism to get it out of the carrier, and then like Not just really, by nat- no. and then through natural selection, these viruses just became contagious or something like that
1: yeah maybe maybe a little i don't think there's that much to that i think you can kill the virus off just your immune system can kill the virus off just as much whether it's whether you're coughing it out or or not and so in some sense, I guess the phlegm maybe kind of cleans it out of your lungs and stuff like that. But I think it's really that the viruses trigger that reaction in us because that is what allows them to spread, and therefore those are the successful ones. If you have a virus that doesn't trigger any reactions, any symptoms in a host, it's just going to die because you're not going to spread it, right? And so, hmm. so viruses need these mechanisms, sneezing and coughing. That's using your body to transfer themselves,
0: yeah, it needs it. And I don't know that we're definitely going to get to the bottom of this because I don't know how much, you probably know more than me, how much uh, research has actually gone into the mechanism of coughing as a defensive or offensive action. But I think uh, my money would be on if I had to bet that the coughing came first as a defense mechanism and that, uh, and I'm willing to be wrong because I'm not a scientist, but my, I, I, you would think that the coughing would come first as a defense mechanism and that the viruses would just be contagious on their own.
1: Yeah, it doesn't that- matter. I think both things are true. I, I think both, and, it, and it's totally fine for, for both things to be true. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, because you coughing out, you know, a, a virus or whatever. Even if it does have some defensive mechanism, uh, doesn't negate the fact that the virus wants you to do that. Like it maybe <laughs> it's in some sense, some weird, twisted sense, beneficial action for both you and the virus, right?
0: <laughs> well, people are viruses, so. <laughs> Humans are viruses. virus
1: in a very biological uh, sense. Yeah, I mean, v- virus is is a funny organism. It's really just it is a tiny piece of information whose only purpose is to copy itself, which is exactly like so many human ideas. Exactly like the chain letter. Yeah, you're totally right. Its yeah, only that's really interesting. Is to copy itself, and the ones that are better at copying themselves by warning you with superstition, oh, you're going to win the lottery. I mean, the first chain letters they studied in the 1950s were ones that said, hey, look at all these examples of these people who passed on the chain letter, and they won the lottery, and then this mm-hmm. person who didn't pass on the chain letter, they died. And the, the funny thing is, chain letters kind of all copied each other With slight variations. And there was this researcher in the 70s who took all the examples of chain letters that they could find and actually made like a biological tree, a family tree of chain letters and where it started. And then they kind of uh, changed over time. And the ideas in the chain letter that were most successful in getting people to send out more letters were the ones that survived but and sort of there's this evolution of chain letters and they became more and more <laughs> effective at getting people to copy them and those are the traits that survive and it's exactly the same thing as music as film almost every human idea is there because it's effective at getting itself copied right' it's, it's exactly like the earbug like this tune in your head uh, music that is catchy, is more likely to be copied and it's more likely to be shared. And you can think of like an earbug, like a, a music that gets you hum and get, gets caught mm-hmm. in here, exactly like a virus. Right. So y- you're putting that virus out there by humming it, right? And then other <laughs> right. people hear it, or you're playing it, you're playing it for your friends. Right. And then they're catching that virus and they're spreading it, right? And the only purpose, does it do you any good? No. The only purpose of a catchy song is to perpetuate itself. Right, right. It's just making copies of itself and flowing through society and getting spread. And then there's mutations as people copy it, makes like variations. And then you could say almost every. And this is this is true of almost everything in human culture and technology. I mean, the funny thing is if you think about it, humans are basically exactly the same as we were on the plains of Africa a million years ago, or or a hundred thousand years ago at least, right? Uh, and They didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have technology. They didn't have cell phones. What is the difference? They were just as smart as us and probably smarter, actually. Why didn't they have technology? Why didn't they just invite the next
0: iPhone? Well, I think that, you know, progress is, uh, it compounds and, you know, it builds on its previous uh, accomplishments, first and foremost. Uh, And second of all, I would say there's probably like a parallel progress to, uh, things like IQ, like I- IQ as, you know, like you're shaking your no. head, but let me get this out. I think it's like, yeah. I've heard IQ described by experts as uh, or psych psychologists rather <laughs> still experts. I just hate that word expert, uh, as, uh, adaptation to bo- modernity. So it's like, you know, your ability to get by in the, ju- in a concrete jungle, as opposed to an actual jungle. Is what, I, is what I've is what i heard people, like, you know, experts describe IQ as. Because, like you said, we're pretty much just as smart as people that were on the plains of Africa. It's not that we're actually smarter. So what do you do with all these, like, high IQ people that, like, make tons of money, but, like, wouldn't last a day in the jungle? Are they any smarter than their counterparts from the plains of Africa? Or is their no, IQ just but something but they have different? keeps...
1: Yeah, They're of They're not course. smarter, but they have different skills. No, right, they, right. That's true. And, and skills evolve, uh, you know, as, as, with technology. And certainly we're trained differently from, from a hunter. You know, in the plains of Africa, we can, you know, start a fire or hunt a wildebeest nearly as well as they could. So we're trained in different skills. That's definitely true. And human sort of skill sets go along with technology. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about why... Uh, Couldn't they just invent something? And it's because most human inventions are not invented. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the idea that we invented all our technology is simply not true. Technology Hmm. evolves through small incremental processes of trial and error, which are basically just like evolution. I mean, technology evolves, it's not invented. And it's because because that's a good distinction. It's because every, every time you make a small uh, adjustment to something, it, it, it changes. And, I mean, there are examples of sort of leaps of invention, but they're pretty rare. Think about like a boat, for example. Why is a boat the way it is? Why does it, you know, a sailboat? Uh, why, why does a sailboat have a round bottom that keeps the water out, a sail of a certain size and stuff like that? Is it because someone invented a boat one day? Like a, a guy came along and said, ah, I want to build a sailboat. So they did build a sailboat.
0: I think it's because we uh, we we saw wood floating in water, maybe tree trunks that were cut down or fell down, and we just saw round wood floating in the water, and that was kind of how we came up with it. I think I've read that somewhere actually, maybe oh, in your book. Oh, for sure. Book. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people saw this like, and they would like hollow it out or whatever. So that, yeah, but but the the point is that no one ever invented a boat. It, it just kind of slowly right. evolved, and the boats that worked got copied because other people saw other people using boats, and they said, hey, I want to make something similar. So they just copied that, right? Uh-huh. And uh, the boats that didn't work sank and didn't get copied. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. If a boat doesn't work, it doesn't fulfill its role as a boat, and no one is going to copy that. And, yeah. and this is how boats have evolved. No one ever invented a boat, yet we have boats, <laughs> No one ever invented, you know, modern ships, yet we have modern ships. I mean, someone did invent the steam engine, sort of, but, I mean, there, there are some technological leaps. And where did all these agriculture- iPhones come from?
0: No, I'm joking. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's, you know, evolution of the flip phone. Was that something yeah. different? I mean, it's, which is evolution of the telephone, which is an evolution well, of the telegraph. I mean, there is some invention yeah. there, but, but it's it's a lot smaller than we usually think. Almost everything in human technology is not invented. It's just evolved by small incremental changes that either work or they don't.
0: Uh, I want to clarify my IQ, my second part of my answer, the IQ bit, because I feel like maybe I didn't do it the, the explanation justice, and I'm still going to ex- admit defeat if you shoot me down. Because this is not my this is not my domain of expertise, but I'm going to defend it. I'm going to defend it just one more time. The IQ idea was invented in the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it was invented by Sir Francis Galton, who was a cousin of Charles Darwin, and he was a proponent of eugenics. uh, And it was kind of a way to test people. And originally, it was just your mental age versus what the average mental person was, and if 100 was average, so if you were a five-year-old and you were just as smart as the average five-year-old, you were 100 IQ, if you were, like, two years ahead, you'd be, I think, like, 130 or whatever it is, yeah.
0: Okay, so here's my defense. This fact alone, that the IQ was invented just, like, you know, very, very recently, I think this plays along with my idea that that, uh, maybe we didn't have the ability to invent certain modern things on the plains of Africa, and it's kind of the same answer that, like, in, you know, inventions adapt and and change, and it's kind of the same answer, but at the same time, like, when we invented agriculture, we didn't have the uh, adaptation to modernity or IQ to even know that steam engines would exist or that we would need them or want them. And so isn't it possible that that IQ is a variable in this argument, because A, we didn't even invent the idea of an IQ until about a century ago, and B, um, that, you know, adaptation to modernity would also be a very adaptive, very slow-brewed kind of process over time. And so, like, just in the same way that we wouldn't have been able to invent an iPhone on the plains of Africa, because all these other things would have had to come along with it, and we would have had to learn all of the reasons for those uh, inventions leading up to the iPhone you know along with inventing them we're learning about them and how they work and stuff like that so I, I feel like there is kind of a give and take between the adaptation of ideas and inventions and the adaptation of our own intelligence <laughs> not really because each okay, human is born as shoot a blank. Down. yeah
1: each human is born as a blank slate right so a human that's born could be a hunter gatherer if they were raised in a hunter gatherer society or they could be a modern human you like there's genetically there's not really that much difference i mean there's a tiny little bit maybe and there's something to it's not completely untrue what you're saying but it's a really minor component so first of all i the idea of measuring iq was invented just over 100 years ago but IQ existed. I mean, intelligence existed. Just the fact that we didn't measure it per se doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, but, so but IQ is not
0: but IQ isn't a measurement of intelligence, right? It's not uh, a measure of intelligence. Effectively it is.
1: I mean, uh, there's contextual factors like the way you conduct your test does matter. For example, there's this idea that African Americans tend to score poor less well because the tests are designed for, <laughs> you know, white people in America or something like that. So so just the contextual culture. Uh, of the the way the questions are asked does possibly have uh, an effect on how the the test scores come out. Even though people are equally smart, it's just kind of they have maybe different, slightly different ways of viewing the world, and I think that's maybe true. Um, and and so you're right, saying the test the
0: skews Eurocentric or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. It may, the test may skew Eurocentric. Uh, th- there's definitely that argument that the test. Um, the other thing is though, um, if you're if what you're saying is true, that humans are are you know, more suited for technology today. And I think that is true. That's mainly skills. That's not genetics. So that's not hu- how humans are born. Humans are born with a blank slate. We're babies. We don't know anything. And everything we learn is learned by our, through our parents and society and all this stuff. So what you're saying is true. But it's actually an argument for the evolution of culture. It's not an evolu- It's mm. not an argument for the evo- the human biological evolution, right? So what is true is society has changed through the same process that has created technology, and it has created an environment where we are more susceptible to being raised to computer program or learn how to use screens and iPhones and all this stuff. So. It is true that we have been raised very differently in a technological age. And same thing with agriculture. Before hunter-gatherers would have been raised to learn how to make fires and hunt wildebeest and all that kind of stuff. And later they were raised to um, be farmers and plant crops. And all of that was an accident. I mean, that was just an evolution too. Even all of agriculture was an accident. Agriculture was never invented, ever. It was just observation, you see a little bit here, and you start planting. It's a very slow process, and you see, oh, these grasses grow naturally. Let's take some home. Let's accidentally spill some on the ground. Oh, it came up next year. Let's copy that. Farmer copies farmer, and then soon enough everyone is a farmer, right? That's how Mm -hmm. agriculture spreads, and it's not like someone invented anything, right? Almost all human inventions are are just through this evolutionary process, and that's really what engineering is, is this evolutionary progression of technology. Um, And culture, the evolution of culture goes hand in hand with that. And and so you're absolutely right that that humans are raised differently and and are more suited to a digital age, but that's not a result of their genetic changes. That's a result of the evolution of culture. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Now, I would be curious to hear what you'd say about this then, because the, the thing that I've heard psychologists say about the IQ as a measurement of intelligence as opposed to a measurement of adaptation to modernity, which I really am kind of hanging on to that phrase because I've I've really liked it ever since I've heard it. But I mean, who knows? The the defense I've heard of this is that uh, what would have been a successful, arguably, quote, intelligent person on the plains of Africa, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the best hunter, the best survivor, whatever it was, would not have to be quote intelligent the way that we define that today Uh, they would not score well on an iq test necessarily and and vice versa you 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 couldn't expect some but like the smartest the highest iq person in the world whoever that is you couldn't drop them in the plains of africa and expect them to be like some incredible hunter or like be completely in touch with their primal skills needed to survive on their own in the wild and so uh because they have different skills yeah, and so, and so yeah. that's why I think this isn't necessarily intelligence as much as it is uh, adaptation to modernity, this IQ idea. And that's not mine. The, the, ma- the adaptation to modernity, I can't remember who says that. It's some very prolific psychologist whose name is escaping me at the minute, but it's not mine. That's not mine.
1: Well, I'm saying you're right, but I'm saying oh. it's not as a result of <laughs> biological is mine. evolution. No, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying it's as a result of <laughs> biological evolution. It's a result of cultural evolution. Okay. So, okay. so each human is a blank slate, and we could be raised as hunters. So let's, let's imagine you took an adult human and dropped them into the plains of Africa 100,000 years ago. They would be terrible hunters, probably, because right. they haven't been raised that way. They haven't learned the skills in childhood, all this kind of stuff. They haven't learned the languages right? that, that they speak, <laughs> that they, their tribesmen speak. Um, so, yeah, they would be terrible hunter-gatherers and vice versa. If you took a hunter-gatherer and put them into the modern world, they wouldn't be very good at it, of course. But let's say you took a modern baby. So, you take a baby, drop it into a hunter gatherer world, and have the hunter gatherers raise them as a hunter gatherer. They would be just as good. I mean, yeah. biologically, there's no difference. Very little. I mean, so I will grant you that there's some possible difference. For an example of this is dogs, for example. So, dogs you know, have gone through maybe 20, 30, 40,000 years of evolution from wolves. Um, they're the same species, they can interbreed, but they're actually you know remarkably different uh, uh, a dog um dogs can eat even different food their intestines have changed as a result of eating human food so they're better able to process non meat products it's, it's actually false that dogs are carnivores even though wolves are carnivores uh dogs can process grains and other other human food they can basically eat more or less what humans can eat and it's because they've lived side by side with humans and that's been enough time 10000 years or 20000 years it's been enough time to change Dog's biology, so they can actually eat different foods.
0: Okay, I think and so. There might... is
1: some of that going on with humans biologically, mm-hmm. but very little. Most of it's if you took a baby and put it into a hunter-gatherer world, it would be a hunter-gatherer. If you took a baby from the hunter-gatherer world and put it into the modern world, it would be a modern human.
0: Of course, yeah, but I'm saying that uh, I think we're saying the same thing there too. I think maybe where we're disagreeing could be in how we're defining what. Uh, whether it's the brain or the genes that are responsible for uh some like revolutionary invention because like we're what we're talking about is essentially like how can something how, how do ideas evolve how do invent how do, how do you get from like living on the plains of Africa with nothing no technology to Have to to gaining agriculture and domestication and money and uh, economics and steam engines Mm -hmm. and industrialization and all this stuff and so uh, and and you were saying you know and we're kind of going back and forth on this like what is IQ thing is it really intelligence is it not and I'm thinking like. I th- I think you you have to be totally right because it, it goes along with everything I've read about genetics and stuff. Of course, like if you take a hunter-gatherer baby and drop it in a modern world and it's raised by modern humans, it's going to be no different than a modern human and vice versa. But um, if you were to take Steve Jobs' brain scan, if you took a brain scan of Steve Jobs and a brain scan of a hunter-gatherer, I would imagine you'd find, you know, more or less the same brain structure, but... You know, very different brain organization, very different brain patterns, very different neural connections happening, um, and so that's why I think that this whole IQ is adaptation to modernity, not so much like a level of uh, intelligence. Not that it's not intelligence, but that that's not all it is. It's not completely just like how smart someone is, because what makes someone smart in the plains of Africa could be completely useless and most times actually often is in a s- actual society. So like, so, is it possible that it's, it's more than just genetics that goes into ideas and inventions and intelligence and maybe it's just kind of like our brains are a basket and we have neural connections that are like eggs and we like put some eggs in some baskets and some eggs in different baskets depending on if we're a hunter-gatherer or a civilized person and like what you become is a product of your environment. That's kind of how well, I see. Well, obviously, it.
1: there's a huge genetic effect as well. It's the nature-nurture argument. I think nature is actually v- a very strong basket, uh, as you're saying. But yes, I think I think you're effectively right. We're kind of saying the same thing, actually. I think so. But, but yeah, all I think of so. that is is actually in support of what I'm saying, which is the evolution of culture. You know, defines the 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 eggs, as you're saying, that that go into our brains. Um, that this is the most kind of important force. And it's not really to do with, with like, your IQ is affected quite strongly by your environment um, growing up and what you're exposed to. So so that is true. But that's an outcome of the evolution of culture over time and the evolution of technology over time. It's not what created it. It's as a result of living in this world and being trained in these ways and seeing these things and developing these skills that's how your brain that's Steve Jobs' brain is wired it's eggs are a result of the environment he grew up in so yeah. so it's absolutely true but but it's exactly supporting what i'm saying it it's saying that uh but it's not driving culture or technology it's a result of culture and technology
0: yeah i agree with that yeah, I mean, I it is that.
1: driving it to some extent. Obviously, it's self-perpetuating. It's driving it to the extent that Steve Jobs is in a position to have new ideas that can drive technology forward about the iPhone or whatever. I think he kind of uh, stole that idea, but <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean, basically. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> like, did. He, he was positioned to continue the slow, natural progression of technology and culture because he grew up in this technology and culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, but— I mean, that doesn't invalidate the idea that all technology and culture is slow incremental progress that is very similar to natural selection.
0: Well, it sounds like maybe we should start our break next week and go out next week with an episode on intelligence. <laughs> and what is IQ? No, I'm joking. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Or maybe that's that? our... I'm not sure if we did that one, but... I yeah. Actually,
0: I do think we have an episode on that one, which isn't surprising because this is year three and, uh, yeah. you know... It's a podcast about ideas. So how many ideas are there? Um, I actually, uh, on that note, I just want to completely obliterate what I just said because (laughs) that is not true. I think there are plenty of ideas for this podcast to go on for 20 years if we wanted, I think. uh, And that is in no way connected to the break we're taking. So uh, there's that. But uh, we we should move on from this idea and kind of get back into like the memes and all that stuff. But, you know, just for the sake of... uh, where we are and kind of putting a cap on that. I'm thinking like, um, yeah, it does. It, we we've gotten, we've, we've, we've kind of taken Steve jobs as an example here. Cause he's a big, you know, everybody knows him and he created a lot of really important things, obviously. Uh, but he, you know, his, his Steve jobs is, or, or let's, let's put it this way. The iPhone's appearance in 2006, as opposed to 50,000 years ago or whatever is it has in my mind just as much to do with the fact that so many other things had to be invented before the iPhone could be invented, as it does that we had to, as people and humans, we had to learn so many things about each technology that we invented in order to eventually have the idea that hey, people would like to have phones, iPhones, um, and and that it's the technology yeah. progresses at the same rate that we progress with the technology and learning yeah, about yeah. the technology. And and that's been my whole argument the entire time. Is that oh, for it sure. Like it's both, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But but you're, you're absolutely right. But the technology, the ideas for technology go hand-in-hand with the culture that creates a yeah. platform that allows the technology and stuff like, I mean, but it's part of the same kind of things We stand on the shoulder of giants, and we have way more sh- shoulders to stand on. I mean, the best thinkers in the world today are now looking at, like, what is dark matter or what are black holes and how does dark energy work and stuff like that. But the same people, if they were raised in the same way with the same kind of questions, you know, a couple hundred years ago would have been asking, what is gravity? You know, and these ideas that are previous thinkers, right? It's not that anyone is more or less intelligent, uh, but it's that where you are uh, determines what you can do.
0: Yeah. And also on that note, uh, you know, you
1: are in technology. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And further on that, you know, the the people with the highest IQs may be working on what is dark matter and what is dark energy today. But, you know, at the beginning of time, there was no arc or let's not even go back that far. Just like before agriculture, there was no IQ and intelligence was probably just measured in terms of your ability to survive. And yet people still looked up at the stars and wondered what was up there. And we didn't know as much about what was up there, but like. I'm just saying, the smartest people today, or you know, a, a, a sample of the smartest people today, are working on what is dark matter, dark matter, dark energy, what are black holes, and thousands and thousands of years ago, yeah, we may not have been smart enough to to know about those things, or cheese, yeah,
1: or whatever it is, yeah, yeah, for sure. But oh, we were yeah, smart absolutely.
0: in we were smart in different ways, and uh, yeah. and we still wondered about the same things, more or less. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So this idea of memes. This mm-hmm. is uh, this is a Dawkins idea, isn't it? Richard Dawkins it is, came up yeah. with this. yeah. I
1: think I think he came up with it, it and the whole field is called memetics, which is just like genetics, but it's so it's the idea of culture I means. I think he did, yeah. In the Selfish Gene, he might have come up with this idea, or maybe another book back in the seventies, I think. But uh, it's really interesting if you think about it. And It gives a lot of context for where I, our ideas come from and uh, and how things evolve. And it's not the kind of one of the ideas is the progression of culture. Doesn't even have much to do with sort of conscious thought. It, it's it's not like you choose to do something. I mean, like religion for most people, as an example. It's not something you choose to be. I mean, some people do, but it's quite rare. It's more like where you were raised and what your parents were and this kind of thing, which is something I always thought was very strange, right? This is, to me, one of the greatest ideas, not against religion in general, but maybe of choosing one particular religion. If you were born in the Middle East, you would probably (laughs) be Muslim. So religion in general. (laughs) Right? Um, If you were born in—well, it doesn't contradict the idea that there might be a higher power because Uh, many religions are fundamentally very similar, except the actual stories are different, right? right? But the yeah. thing is, why does being born in Tennessee make it more likely that Jesus existed and was the son of God and all and died for our sins, right? As opposed to just happening to be born in Mecca, why does that make it more likely that Muhammad was the true prophet of God and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, it's right. just weird. The idea that where you're born and what society you're born into, what religion your parents are, makes it more fundamentally realistic or likely that one of these stories happens to be true. That's very strange. Yeah, it's just that makes no sense,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's. This is one of the strangest memes. This is one of the strangest memes, in my opinion, because it's like, uh, you know, and, and I'm somebody that grew up very much like you're saying uh, in a very religious house, and you know, so it's it is strange when you think about the fact that all these religions say that there's one creator. It's just that they all have different ideas of. What, that creator is that if you make the wrong choice, you're going somewhere you don't want to go. So, yeah, it's well, a very, many strange, of them have m- a very multiple strange creators. Meme. Well, huh? many, many of them have multiple
1: gods, like the Hindu, for Hindu, for example, religion has many gods, although there's actually only one creator in that, uh, which I guess but, is
0: Shiva. Yeah, yeah. the
1: destroyer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But
0: in the polytheistic religions, though, there's not nearly as much exclusivity. Like, they don't really care about other religions as much as it's much more like cultural. It's not so much like.
1: Well, no, no, not. True, they can, they can. I mean, there's especially nationalism today, yeah. Yeah. Of course,
0: of course, they can. But my point is that with the monotheistic religions, and I don't mean to target them specifically because I have uh technically been a monotheist, monotheistic Christian, uh, longer in my life than I have not been. Uh, but it is, I, I feel like it's impossible to look at monotheistic religions and say that they're not more exclusive than polytheistic ones almost by default because polytheistic religions just right out of the gate say that there's a bunch of these gods, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's true to some extent. Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Whereas yeah, in, in, in the Bible, it's like you know, there's all these different names for God you know, in the Old Testament, like all the the yeah. Jews ha- and the Hebrews had like, there was all these different names for God that they called him throughout time, but like it was all still the same one. And make sure you don't accidentally say one of these other names that's reserved for actually very different gods. Like make sure you don't talk to any of those yeah. pe- those gods, like because that would be very bad to do. It's just very strange. I, I don't I don't don't follow the logic. Yeah, but but
1: that exclusivity is specifically why I think these religions have been so successful. And this is a a perfect example of why these are very powerful memes throughout our society.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
1: I promise. And religions are good often for the person. Like, I mean, religions do bring comfort and all this kind of things. Religions can definitely bring benefits to the people who believe in them. But fundamentally, they're an idea that is good at spreading themselves. They're, they're ideas are good <laughs> it's a themselves. chain letter. So it's exactly like a chain letter. And the religions observation. that are the most yep. successful are the ones that are best at spreading themselves. And they have a lot of similar characteristics, which is you shall convert other people. Often, not, not always, but often the, the idea is to spread. It's overtly to spread the religion, right? Um, and you can't choose to be any other religion you can't just decide one day oh i'm not so i'm not feeling christian today so i'm gonna be <laughs> jewish today right i mean this especially kind of those two don't ping pong between like, those two more than one religions are, are fundamentally jealous because it's an effective way for them to spread and maintain followers right so so they they have at their core all these ideas and then they have threats Oh, you can't leave this or – I mean in in Islam, it's literally the death penalty for apostasy, which is deciding not to be Islam. If you try to – I mean not all Muslims believe this, but the the fundamental core of Islam, uh, one of the rules is if you decide not to be a Muslim anymore, you're subject to death basically, right? So they have these threats and they have these rewards. They have, oh, and if you're a Christian and believe in God, you're going to live the afterlife and it's heaven and all this kind of stuff, right? So they have all these ideas wrapped into them that make them successful at spreading themselves and sometimes helpful for people as well, but but the kind of idea, the reason why religions are so universal, I think we do have a genetic predisposition to believe things like this, definitely, but one of the reasons why the specific religions have been successful, Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and all these ones, is because they have the package of ideas that are effective at maintaining themselves and spreading themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally right. And this, I'm going to say something here that might potentially come across the wrong way in a number of different ways to different listeners. I hope it doesn't, but I'm going to say it because I think it's on point and uh, and it's I'm just going to say it. So hopefully I've played it up enough to, to totally neutralize it now. I also have thought about this whole like religion thing kind of as like, I've never thought of it in terms of a virus, like you're saying. And I think that's like a very funny way to think of it. Um, but like like you said, religions do give a lot to, there's a lot of people who, who uh, seem to get a lot from their religions. And obviously it's nobody's place to tell those people if they should or should not be a member of that religion. Um, at the same time, I feel like you can't really look at religion without looking at the history of religion, without realizing that religion was basically invented at the same time as agriculture, globally, worldwide. No uh, society is excluded from that. And then at that point, it just kind of seems to me like religion was invented as a way to kind of compensate for certain disparities that might exist in civil life, like, like in agricultural civilized life, like, you know, cause we're not necessarily evolved to be civil people as, is yeah. crazy as that sounds like we're evolved to be hunter gatherers in tribes, uh, yeah. that are made up of, of, uh, of our, you know, people with, with our own flesh and blood and, and not no like, not like just dispersed into these cities where like, you, you know, you're moved from your family and you just kind of like set up your own thing and you're like surrounded by strangers. Like that's not normal. And so it's almost like you kind of need religion in order to make society work in the first place. And I think this is kind of why Nietzsche gets so bent. It was Nietzsche, I believe, that said that uh, without, religion, masses, right? yeah, without religion, yeah, without yeah. religion, it's like the society mm. collapses.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why sure. he
0: says this, because it's like oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Religion's invented at the same time as agriculture and society in the first place. So you kinda, they kind of go hand in hand.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be clear, I think people had spiritual ideas and sort of the idea of the supernatural before, uh, and medicine course, men, yes, and sort of, of burial, and all this kind of stuff, but this really organized hierarchy, religion, yeah, probably, and and Absolutely. That's another powerful idea that's part of the package is it kind of binds society together and it makes people feel comfortable with their place. And even if you're a poor peasant, don't worry, you're going to get to go to heaven just like the king is and all this kind of stuff. It keeps you happy Mm -hmm. and it gives you comfort and all this kind of stuff. These are powerful ideas as well. And that's part of the package that has encouraged rulers and, and priests throughout history to kind of perpetuate these ideas as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure. And then, and then just one last thing I'll say on that, just to anybody who may be shaking their heads at what I just said. Uh, I think that some further proof of that, and it doesn't mean that society, that there's something wrong with living right, a yeah. c- civilized life. That's not what I'm saying at all. I don't want anybody to hear that. Uh, it's just that I would, the way I would say it is that civilization is such an incredible idea and like it's so revolutionary that we're still not really wired for it. Hundred percent. Like we're probably a lot more Mm. ready for it now. I mean, evolution happens really slowly, obviously. So we're not that much different than we were as hunter gatherers. But you know, we're not like evolved to be civil creatures. And and, you know, we're kind of making this thing work because it's a great idea. And I think that the proof that uh, like, because like you said, Andrew, like there were people were spiritual before civilization and religion and stuff. And but most of that that I've read and seen, I'm not an anthropologist, but the ones that I read say that, uh, uh, and pretty much all of them that I've read, say that before civilization and agriculture, it was pretty much just like pagan, polytheistic, mystic, you know, beliefs. It wasn't like these organized religions where there was like, oh, like this person came to earth and mm-hmm. was meant yeah. to be worshipped for the rest of their life. And if you don't right. acknowledge this, you are doomed for hell you know like that's a pretty new idea and i think if you look at uh, the first civilizations ever like namely india and china and looking at their religious and lack of religious structure in both places i think you just kind of see a what you see in india and china religiously and spiritually or the lack thereof depending on where you're looking is exactly what you'd expect to see in the first civilizations ever If you're looking at what hunter gatherers thought, for the most part, it's like China is pretty much like not religious at all, but they have some like spiritual concepts like yin and yang and balance. And India is like they got more gods than they can count on their own, and like it's just like oh, they just like everything is like beautiful. It's almost like poetic their religion. the The Hindu religion is almost like it's very poetic, you know, much much more Mm -hmm. than the Bible. Like the Bible has some poetic sections, but it's not like meant to be like poetic, completely. Yeah, yeah, Whereas the Quran so, is.
1: It's literally, like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Inter- that's an interesting... You kind I, of I, I sing it almost. I mean, if you've yeah, ever heard yeah.
1: people read the Quran, it's basically almost a song. I mean, it, it pretty much is a song. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, religion is definitely a very interesting meme. Uh, but I don't want to get too hung up on religion and make this whole episode about religion. Although, I think you can't really talk about memes without talking about religion because mm-hmm. it's probably yeah, the most successful yeah. meme there is, is, is yeah, religion. yeah, yeah. And and, and Um, as
1: you're saying, for society, it has the rules, the package of rules, and do unto others as you would mm -hmm. have them do unto you, and all these rules to keep society honest and
0: kind of uh, in line, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, like, this is something that I have a really hard time thinking about uh, since I've become irreligious the last handful of years, uh... Thinking about how the, just this idea that Nietzsche talks about how without without religion society crumbles, and I have like really I have a really hard time with this particular idea or meme or whatever you want to call it, but because on one hand I feel like uh, I was raised, and I'm gonna I'm trying to say this very gingerly because I don't want to say this in a way that uh, makes it seem like I think this applies to everyone, but my personal experience with religion was that it was very the version of it I grew up with was extremely dogmatic and, um, and controlling and, uh, and, and not, not based on the right things. Um, you know, very fear-based. And that's not what I think of philosophy should be based in fear. I think there's times for it, but not like entirely. Um, and that was very much what I grew up in. And so in on one hand, I'm kind of like against religion. <laughs> I, I, have never even said that out loud Uh, because I'm not like, I don't really think religion should end. And that's kind of the flip side of this that I'm saying is that like, Nietzsche, I think he was totally right that without religion, society's in trouble. Because I think like, you know, a lot of people don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff on this level. And, And, you know, they don't want to like tear these thoughts apart and like really decide what they think about it. They'd rather just look at the cultural memes and just kind of go along with the flow. And so, you know, people are going to be more likely to just go along with the narrative that they're taught than to question it. And, and so I kind of have this weird tension about religion as a meme specifically, because I don't think it should go away. But I also think a lot of people have been and are currently hurting from it. Uh, That's not to say everybody is. um, But yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to say if something else will replace it. It is true that religion is maintaining pretty strong support in a lot of places that are advanced technologically, like the United States. But, for example, in Europe, religion is pretty much dying out. So I don't know, and do other ideas replace it? Like, if people aren't religious, do they believe in UFOs and alien abduction instead? I mean, is the brain just kind of conditioned to look for something more than than what's just going on in people's lives and i think it probably is so what do people replace it with do they replace it with something is it possible to actually have a society that really kind of doesn't really have that much religion i think it is to some extent because you do have some cultures that don't really have religion but they still have as you say some spiritual beliefs i'm not really sure and you Know it'd be interesting to try to weigh up the costs and benefits of religion throughout history, whether it's been a net positive or a net Ooh. negative. Because, yeah, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, obviously, it's so subjective and hard to do, and you'd never yeah. be able to do it uh, you know, effectively. It's like this one guy offered to do his PhD on uh, how many rags it would take to soak up all the blood shed in the Civil War. <laughs> it's kind of like the same question, <laughs> but even harder. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. It's hard to say whether it's been in net positive. It's one thing we can say for sure. It's a powerful idea that is very good at spreading itself. Uh, that offers some benefits and some costs. That it's hard to weigh whether, which one is higher. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, let's talk about this. For let's let's take this in the context of some some different memes uh, that have that have come and gone throughout time. Because because on one hand you could say religion should be considered a net positive, no matter if you're religion or not, because if, if no matter if you're religious or not, because um you know, religion you could say is largely responsible for hunter gatherers being able to become civilized and live together with people that they don't know. And so maybe civilization wouldn't have been possible in the first place without something like this to bring people in and and to not kill each other, you know? Cuz you're it's living cuz cuz here's the thing. Yeah. And people people get squeamish when you talk about people don't like talking about this for some reason. I know you don't care, but like a lot of people get squeamish when you talk about hunter gatherers leaving their families to join a society, which is something that absolutely happened when agriculture Mm -hmm. became like a a popular meme. Um, You had all these hunter-gatherer tribes that were tied by blood that were now moving to different cities. They were dispersing to places of their choice where they felt like they could put their skills to best use. And you had all these strangers living together who don't know each other from Adam. And, uh, and how else do you keep those people from like, how do you get those people to cooperate? Especially Mm. these aren't people that have all the preconceived notions that we, you and I have of society. Like these are, this is a brand new idea, you know? So like, how do you, religion is how you keep those people from killing each other. And so, you know, but, but when you look at it in the context of now, let's take a, let's take a absolutely, uh, repulsive meme by contrast, like slavery, let's take slavery as a meme. This is something people have done throughout time to people of all, Mm -hmm. you know, different walks of life. Like, this is just like a horrible thing that people used to do. And I don't think anybody would look at, uh, at slavery and say, (laughs) I'm sad to say there probably are some, some racist sons of bitches alive still that would, uh, disagree with me. But, um, you know, uh, for the most part, any sensible person would not look at slavery and say it was a a net positive, like this is a destructive meme, you know? So, yeah. so in some sense, you gotta kinda say like, yeah, maybe religion is a net positive because A, it was instrumental, whether or not it was largely to think it was absolutely instrumental in the creation of society and bringing strangers together. And it still is probably very effective at doing that. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is actually probably a good place to take this what what other memes have come and gone? Like, uh, have, like, played their time? Like, do memes tend to play out? Uh, do they have a shelf life? Or is there... I mean, obviously, that's kind of like a loaded question. There's too many memes to count, first of all. So I don't know how yeah, you can like quantify it.
1: Right, there's, hard, there's small things, like certain songs we don't really play anymore. I mean, and there then, you, go. you know communism in the soviet union is kind of gone right (laughs) uh it still exists elsewhere but yeah i mean so yeah there's there's plenty of ideas that have come and gone uh we don't do art the same way it's still with us so, so i mean some of these ideas we still know about but do we really subscribe them i get to them i don't know like people actually there are people still writing classical music but it's not that common you know, mm-hmm. so, so there's lots of kind of memes that, that uh, we used to do in the past that we don't do anymore. Slavery is a particularly destructive one, but there's lots of examples of, of things that we've done in the past that we don't really do anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just to, just to clarify <laughs> the last 10 minutes of, uh, of rambling on slavery versus religion, I was not trying to compare the two. That is not uh, I was not trying to tie those together uh, at all. Just you know, just doing a little comparison, a little contrast, because you know, some it's interesting how like some memes, you know, some some of these ideas that we have can be really helpful and instrumental in a society, and then eventually throughout time, religion has probably had the slowest evolution of this uh, that I can think of, going from being instrumental in starting a society and bringing people together, and then lasting for tens of thousands of years all the way to the place where uh, now people are giving it up, you know? Like, tens of thousands of years later, people are leaving their religions that their families have been a part of. Like, religion's in trouble. I'm not saying it's, it's like, doomed, but, like, it's definitely on the decline. So, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's sure. interesting. Religion, religion is a, it's a fascinating meme considering, like, the origins of society and uh, and how how successful religion has been as a meme only to just now be kind of turned upside down on its head. It's super interesting and weird.
1: Yep. I, I, I guess uh, we should probably wrap up soon, but I wanted to just talk really quickly about two examples of uh, kind of fun memes or uh, ideas just to just to kind of get this idea across. Um, ones that are a lot more trivial than the ones we've been talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we kind of
0: went for the the meat there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. What, what is the evolution of teddy bears? And this is an Ooh, example 100%. of how people didn't necessarily choose how the evolution of teddy bears happened, but it just kind of happened through natural consumer preference. And and this is an evolution caused by human culture. So teddy bears started out, I think the first one, you know, was like Teddy Roosevelt basically. So it was, you know, about over a hundred years ago. And they kind of looked like bears. And if you look at a teddy bear today, they don't really look that much like bears. What they really mm-hmm. look like is a cross between a bear and a human baby. Because... Mm-hmm humans find babies cute. And kids find babies cute. So uh, basically, teddy bears started out really bear-like with long snouts and teeth and all this stuff. And they sort of evolved into this really cutesy bear. And what happened was, it wasn't that people consciously were making bears cuter and cuter necessarily. I mean, there might have been a little bit of that. But the bears that were cuter were more successful in selling. People just bought more of them. So the manufacturers would make more of the cuter kind. And gradually the teddy bear had changed from this kind of really bear, like stuffed animal bear, into this little cute huggable thing with short stubby arms and legs and uh, small snout and all this. And it's not that anyone consciously said, I want to make a teddy bear that looks kind of like a baby. But it's just that humans expressed a gradual consumer preference. They bought more of the ones that were cuter. And their kids played more with the ones that were cuter, and over time, the teddy bear evolved. And this is just a natural evolution uh, through culture.
0: So you're saying that teddy bears are a virus?
1: Yeah, but in fact, I mean, it's not that they're a virus. <laughs> virus is a very pejorative word. It's not right, like right. religion is a virus. I'm joking. A I'm joking. Word. But but the spread of the te- the spread and evolution of teddy bears does work very similar to a virus, and, and same thing with religion. Just the way they operate, and and the fact that. The ideas that are most successful, uh, the cultural elements that are most successful, tend to get copied. The ones that are not successful get cancelled out. Um, well, there you have it, folks. Even example. teddy
0: bears are not are not exempt from natural selection.
1: Well, right, exactly. They're yeah, cultural selection actually. But yeah, exactly. But here, here um, w-
0: before you change subjects, this yeah, is interesting yeah, about the yeah, teddy bear because yeah. you could okay. say like this is this is actually this could be a profound foreshadowing of the shelf life of all memes because you could say that maybe, I mean, what's the, who in their right mind would want to sleep with a stuffed bear it, unless the idea was the novelty of sleeping with a bear that wouldn't kill you. So maybe it's like, <laughs> so maybe it's like the original idea of a teddy bear is like this harmless bear because you said it's like, it mm. looks like a photorealistic bear. Photo reel is not the right word, but it was a very realistic looking. Yeah, bear, yeah. It, you they know.
1: tried to make a bear, right? A stuffed bear. Yeah. And nowadays, the teddy bears don't really look that much like bears.
0: Yeah, but like, point being, why did it have to be a teddy bear? Unless the idea was, it's this like deadly animal that's not going to kill you, and it's a little novel toy. Is like, oh, because
1: because bear cubs are cute and cuddly and stuff. I think you know, bears bears are cute, even if they're also ter- terrifying.
0: <laughs> so then, why did we <laughs> evolve them to look less uh, dangerous and and more human?
1: Yeah because human babies are the thing that humans are conditioned to find the most um, appealing
0: so so I guess let's let's ask it a different way then why is why was it Teddy bear and not like Teddy? Uh, mouse or something like that obviously you can find uh, animals of all varieties
1: bears to mice i mean i, I, bear <laughs> birds are cute. Uh, I think it's a teddy roosevelt mice. thing also but it was an outdoor he was an outdoorsman and had something to do with like the natural parks and st- national parks and stuff like that that was founded during his presidency it was kind of just a movement uh smoke why is it smoky the bear not smoking the mouse i mean because <laughs> bears are outdoorsy humans don't uh, like mice because they that's true squirm around eat our food and theoretically carry diseases or whatever but they poop in your house and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But another similar one is the is Santa Claus. So Santa Claus started out as kind of just a guy, he wasn't that interesting and he had kind of a sailor costume and he was not very friendly and he was he was not fat. Uh he was just kind of this dude, right? Santa Claus was just this dude. Uh And over time, he evolved to have all these really characteristic features, like a pot belly. Who's now seen Santa Claus? Who's not? Doesn't? Who's not fat? Who doesn't have a pot belly? Who doesn't have a white beard? Santa Mm -hmm. Claus didn't have a white beard originally. Who doesn't have rosy cheeks and a button nose and -hmm. all these features that make Santa Claus look very cutesy? These. This is the evolution of Santa Claus. Was just people progressively preferred christmas cards that had santa claus looking cuter and cuter and also santa now santa claus is just this archetype of cuteness right and it's just totally evolved into this thing we have this vision of santa claus that is drastically different from original conception of santa claus and it's just because culture has evolved santa claus based on our preferences for things that are cute and make a smile
0: interesting this makes me wonder if there's any and i think we've already covered some so the answer is definitely yes but i was going to say uh what would be the da- what would be the downsides of of memes? And I think there's definitely some downsides, probably to every meme. We've already ca- covered some with Santa Claus in previous episodes, and we've covered a little bit with relig- religion today and in other episodes. And we've covered downsides for. I wonder if there's any downsides to like agriculture as a meme, or like any of the other inventions. Like uh, industrialization is a pretty big meme. That has, uh, you know, been instrumental in like tons of tons of good, um, but there's got to be downsides to it. So I'm wondering like, I wonder if there's a way to like, calculate the usefulness of a meme or the shelf life of a meme or how long a meme actually stays relevant before it's actually kind of working against its original cause.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean there's almost everything in life is a trade-off people often argue that hunter-gatherers were healthier and lived lives that were more leisurely and, and that kind of thing so almost everything in life has a trade-off memes the point is that memes don't spread because they're necessarily good for us they can be they can bring us benefits but they spread because they're powerful ideas that are good for them they're they they make they have ideas' they're ideas that make themselves more likely to spread um, so it's just their intrinsic properties a meme is isn't cultural element of uh, color an element of culture that can spread, basically. So uh, they're powerful for themselves. And,
0: yeah. It's interesting to hear you say it that way because, I mean, obviously, the memes have no will of their own. I guess it's just a testament to humans' uh, need to look for things that are popular that other people are doing and to copy them.
1: Yeah. Well, And the other possible... Downside I can see maybe if there's so much cultural uh, conversion, so all the teddy bears now look the same or all the Santa Claus look the same, could this mean that we're fixated on one idea? So all the iPhones converge to the same thing. So we're less likely to find new ideas because we're so focused on the ideas we currently have. So we don't jump to create new ideas. So we spend so much time on our current ideas that we're not thinking about new ideas and become really... um, uh, we, we progress basically stops. And, and that's, that's a possible trade-off too. So just if you spend time and energy thinking about the current memes or just interacting with the current memes, maybe we don't
0: develop new ones. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Well, I guess the whole moral of this episode is uh, to observe your memes. <laughs> Think about the memes you're participating in. Or something. I, I mean, know. I don't
1: think there's any take-home homework here, but I think that uh, basically just it's an interesting way to think about it, and I hope mm-hmm. we've kind of given people uh, shed some light on in some perspective on how human ideas work and spread, and maybe you want to think about how it applies to your life a little bit. But,
0: mm-hmm. uh, the way the, the image this evokes in my head is like uh ideas kind of have this trajectory like fireworks or something like they sh- they shoot up in the sky and they create this big thing that everybody sees and they have these little offshoots that like explode and then they fizzle out and then maybe there's like more fireworks after them but they like you know they they uh uh their things come about and they disappear but they create new things as a result and um and we're constantly shuffling through ideas and trying to find ideas that are actually useful and helpful to us. And uh, every day there's ideas that die out, and every day there's new ideas that come back in, and it's the it's the circle of life, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, some ideas really persist. Like, agriculture is going to mm-hmm. be with us for a while. And, I mean, you know, certain ideas are really basic, the rule of law and... Democracy is probably not going to die out. Hopefully, uh, stuff like that. So there are certain <laughs> memes that uh, you know do really persist. But you're right. I mean, the way it works in culture with fashion, let's say. I mean, fashion just reinvents itself to stay relevant. Right. <laughs> it kind of circles through the generations. And same thing with music and movies. Are they really making anything new? Are they going to come up with a new emotional perspective in some new Oscar-worthy movie that that, that Shakespeare didn't write about? Probably not. I mean, it's just this. I mean, classical music used to be the thing, and now we do different kind of music, but it may have all the same like emotions that it triggers. And so, kind of, you're right. I mean, society is just this churn of ideas going through this process of like fireworks, kind of. Some fizzle and some lead to other fireworks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. It's also interesting thinking about how memes are not all similarly uh, oriented. Like, some of them are purely based in, like, what's novel and getting people to, like, buy something, like music and uh, and fashion, like you just said. Fashion is, like, a novel. It's a meme of novelty. Whereas, like, agriculture is a meme of arguably necessity if you care at all about civil life. Yeah, uh, right. It's, there's nothing novel about agriculture unless you're a hunter-gatherer. Right. <laughs> you well, know?
1: there are. I mean, we have innovations coming in, but yeah, yeah. yeah
0: for sure yeah. yeah uh but point being it's just it's just interesting that that memes have uh that ideas are you know uh broad spectrum like some of them are things that are ne- like a necessity to everyday life like agriculture uh and and industrialization and things like that and then things like fashion are just completely arbitrary
1: <laughs> i mean fa- fashion i think is good for itself. That's why the dresses and the pants and the outfits that are successful are successful because uh, they're able to propagate themselves. People copy them. People like them. But do they offer a benefit? I mean, maybe you could say they do. But <laughs> really, the, the benefit they offer is to themselves to get copied.
0: Yeah, And then it's interesting uh, hearing you say, uh, do you, I mean, I've heard people say democracy is in trouble. But how could that really be true? I mean, democracy is too big of a meme in order to be going anywhere anytime soon. What makes you say you hope democracy doesn't die out? I'm just curious.
1: Oh, well, the idea um, won't die. I mean, other societies in the future will, presumably, assuming we don't wipe ourselves out, be, be democratic. The thing is, countries can shift from democracies to more authoritarian states, and democracy is not an on-off. It's not binary, one <laughs> or nothing. So you can lose some elements of it. And, uh, but it's also not clear that democracy is sort of the state, the one stable form of government. I mean, it hasn't, it's been in by far the minority throughout human history. Most civilizations have not been democratic. So, right. Um, it's definitely not any kind of stable system necessarily, right? It, yeah.
0: Let's, let's wrap on this, but I'm just, you've got me thinking about democracy now. And, and you just said that, uh, that America is, is, uh, I can't remember what you just said. <laughs> you say it was one of the last. At risk of becoming you, authoritarian. You, you said something at risk about, of becoming more authoritarian.
1: It's not binary. It's not. It's countries have different levels of democracy. Is
0: that yeah. what You mean? Well, I, I can't remember exactly what how you put it, but you said something to the effect of uh, you, you said something about America's democracy and how it was noteworthy, and I'm and I'm just thinking how like, uh, you know, people. You have two groups of people. You have people that well technically there's three. You have one group that says America's a democracy. You have another group that says America's a republic and then you have a third group that acknowledges that it's actually a blend of both, which is what it actually is. Well, and, those
1: things aren't opposite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they kind of are In opposite. They kind of are. Well, Repu- I'm going to mess this up and and you're probably going to end up correcting me. I'm calling it. Uh but you know, the republic idea is that you vote for representatives you make a vote for a representative to do your bidding as a civil as a civilian in the place where you live so you you make a vote for your your congressman or your president or whatever to go to go make things happen that are uh in line with your views and so you vote republican or democrat or whatever um
1: yeah
0: and then democracy oh let me finish on republic and then with republic with republic it's uh you know if you're a republican arguably so the the individual is is more empowered it's more about like the like the individual instead of like the masses like how many like whereas in democratic uh systems it's like everybody's cl- whoever whoever's party gets the most votes wins essentially it's pure democracy pure democracy is like the you know whatever ideas get the most votes win but with republic it's like we're just going to vote these people into office who are going to drive our initiatives forward regardless of how many votes the actual bills get and things like that. It's like Republican view is our representatives do all the work for us and they just automatically assume our, uh, our views because they're, you know, we're, we're voting in line with our political party and with de- the democratic system, if it was a purely democratic system here in America, uh, it would be, it would be no public representatives. It would just be the people completely by themselves and the majority would have it every time on every vote. But because we're a blended Republic and democracy, uh, we kind of have a little bit of both, which is why we still have representatives that we vote on, but we still all get to vote on certain key issues as well. So um, what were you going to say? Well,
1: yeah, I, I think what you're going for is re- representative democracy. So it's not a democracy like ancient Athens, where every citizen is a member, gets gets to vote on everything. Um, but that's just not really workable in a large country. So we right. have what's called representative democracy, where we elect representatives to act on our behalf. Um, that's not I mean blending Republican democracy, I think that's just a, bit, a different form of democracy.
0: My understanding of that uh, of that term representative democracy is that representative is interchangeable with republic because in a republic you have representatives, and in a no. democracy, it's more so based on just the civilians.
1: I don't think so. No, 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 because for example, um countries before have had elected monarchies. So they they basically elect someone to represent them and they become the king. It's it's you can have um democracies that are not republics. Um but it's it's kind of rare. Um Republican democracy just mean two fundamentally different things. It's like, uh, one is a shape and one is a color. They're not, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not in opposition in any way. They're just two different, uh, things that can go together, but don't necessarily have to go together. Mm -hmm. And, and, and both, by the way, are, are ancient. Like Rome had exactly what you're describing, where you elect a representative to vote on your behalf in the Senate. Uh I
0: mean, this is
1: not a new concept.
0: Right. Of course it's not new. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at this uh, this this comparison of democracy versus republic, and uh, the def- the definitions are for democracy: all decisions and power reside in the voice of the majority. As a result, an individual or group of individuals making up a minority have no protection against the power exercised by the majority. So that's democracy, and then republican the the republic uh, definition is a republic refers to specifically a form of democracy in which elected individuals represent the citizen body and exercise power according to the rule of law under a constitution which protects the basic rights of individuals and the separation of powers with elected representatives. So it is it is very much that the republic is represented by representatives. That's probably why rep, uh, rep, public, uh, republic. And then democracy, I don't know the etymological breakdown of that, but it's like, it's bas- it This website, it, it, this this definition, this definition is saying that it very much is the individual versus the masses.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, the, the, the maybe not of in purely historical sense is, is specific to the U.S. case. Um, it's it's not the case for ancient Rome, which was definitely a republic. Uh, so it's it's pretty limited. But I think what you're stabbing for maybe is a bit of. Um, confederation or what what do you call it? What do people call America? Because what it has is different state level representatives and we have a bicameral system where you have a Senate and you have a Congress or you have Senate and you have a house. And so it's true that uh, we can't just run, run ran We have more people in California, but we don't really get, we don't get more representative at the state level, um, in the Senate than, than people of Wyoming who have less than one tenth the number of people. Um, Basically, one one hundredth the number of people. So, uh, yeah, um, but I don't think that it, it's true that republics tend to have that characteristic of the representation, and that may be actually the root of the word. Um, but it's still that doesn't make it not a democracy, <laughs> you
0: know. Well, I think the idea it's just is just not an
1: absolute democracy. That is true. The United States is not an absolute democracy.
0: Isn't it that uh, isn't it only that way in America, and that in any other example, historically speaking, that de- a democracy would be at odds with a republic, and that it's only no. in America that we have fused them together and kind of blended them? No, so not, not at all.
1: Almost every country works very, in a very similar way. Australia uh, is thinking a bit about ditching the queen and becoming a republic. Canada could theoretically become a republic, and I mean they're not that different. There's just difference in in the in structure, but. Uh, no, nah, not really. I mean, America is definitely not unique in its political system. It's it's unique in some specific details, but not at all in blending Republican and democracy.
0: Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, democracy is an
1: interesting meme, and so does the idea of a republic, but I just don't think they're fundamentally at odds in any way. It is true that the U.S. is both, I think the U.S. is both a a republic and a democracy, but it's not an absolute democracy. So I guess if you kind of are really particular about the definition of what a democracy is, I guess you could say it's odd, but it really is.
0: I mean, a democracy <laughs> is, is... Democracy is is when uh, uh, people... Uh, you know, it, it's like... It's power by numbers. You know, it's people... Mm, it, it's like... It, not, it's really. not It's not being represented by one central figure. It's like the masses... You know, majority wins. Democracy is majority wins, and republic no. is no. You don't think so?
1: I don't think so. Democracy just means the people have power. That's literally what the word means. Um, so the people get to vote. Basically, you're 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 right. What you're saying is true, but only of an absolute democracy. What you're doing right, is right, taking
0: right, like upper, yeah, democracy has,
1: in my view, a very broad definition that can mean lots of different things. It's a big spectrum, and you're saying. This is a democracy this one thing within the spectrum right
0: I'm saying the purest form of democracy is is It is
1: true absolutely the United States is not a, an absolute democracy it is right. a form of democracy
0: Right yeah it's it's, a, it's, it's a, in the de- we've created it's our in the own democratic meme here the spectrum that works.
1: it's not at the it's not at the pinnacle of democracy it's in the democratic right. spectrum
0: Which is an interesting meme on uh, it's an interesting yeah, I know you say it you, it sounds like you don't think it's that unique but I definitely think it's pretty unique. And, um, you know, I think what, I think the, the, the meme here that is this blending of democracy and the Republic is, uh, is really powerful. It's another pretty powerful meme, and you're uh, grimacing. So it
1: seems like France has that, Germany has that, uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland, uh, England, uh, except England's a monarchy of some sorts. Actually, so is Sweden. Uh, but uh, most modern—that's just how modern countries work. <laughs> so sick. America wasn't first to that. Oh, it was. So, so what makes America unique is—
0: Is that we created it
1: that. Was, it, no, but it was the first <laughs> modern— Democratic Republic. You could argue that. Okay,
0: okay. That's what I was getting at. It was worth yeah. it. I made it! You oh could, my god, argue, I made it to shore!
1: I don't know if it was the first... <laughs> it, what, actually, it wasn't the first Republic, because there were like Trader Republics, merchant oh, yeah. Republics, all this kind of stuff. Of course. But you could say that America was the first modern, and you definitely need that distinction, because it's not that... Honestly, America just kind of copied what Rome did. It's basically just copying Rome. <laughs> well, Rome like was a democracy. It. It just said, hey, Rome had Republic. really good ideas. Both. It was both? Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking
0: of, I'm not thinking of Rome. I'm thinking of Greece, which was just a republic, I believe. Mm, No,
1: no, no. It was both also Athens. It was was basically both. uh, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, normally, uh, I mean, for a time, Rome became an empire, which is different, although they still had a Senate. But
0: uh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well,. I don't know what I'm getting I mean, at here. I'm just trying to I'm trying to give America a compliment. Give me a break. Yeah. Well, <laughs>
1: the distinction that America has in my view is it was the first large modern country to uh adopt both democratic to adopt democratic ideas as a republic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there we, effectively go. we found just
1: it. copied Rome, but but you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, even the
1: architecture copies Rome. Even the capital. Capital is named after the city, after the hill in Rome. Literally, the hill that Rome's government was on was called Capitoline Hill. Everything about America is copied from Rome, but it was the first modern country to do that.
0: And we don't have an emperor.
1: Not yet, but Emperor Trump
0: is... uh, (laughs) Emperor (laughs) Trump! Yeah. I still I still love, uh, <laughs> who was it that made this joke? Uh, I think it was Steve Col- Stephen Colbert. He said, we should just make Trump king. <laughs> he should just be King Trump. He should get a castle and it should be a decorative uh, mm. office and with no power and he just gets to have all his money and his castle and his yeah, flag. Yeah. and <laughs>
1: yeah. Constitutional monarchy. He yeah. <laughs> yeah. can just have tea with the queen.
0: I think I liked that joke better than you did because I'm cracking up over here and you're just like... <laughs> You're just smiling Uh, mildly.
1: Unfortunately, it's too, it's too close to home. It's (laughs) It's
0: too soon. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's why I'm, I think my laugh is actually a nervous one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm laughing nervously. Oh man. Well, this has been a really fun one. I'm, I'm, I don't want to stop recording because I'm nervous that it's gonna, you know, I just hate this. This is, uh, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this weekly ritual with you and, uh, and with you, the listeners, too, I'm going to miss all of this. And, uh, you know, uh, I, you know what would be cool? We've never asked anybody to do this, except for in episodes where we've uh, done little Twitter ga- Twitter games and things like that. But if you are an active listener to this podcast, we would love so much to hear from you on Twitter, just to know, like, what your favorite episodes have been throughout this last couple years as we take this little break. Yeah, uh yeah. So- so if you guys wouldn't mind... Or leave a comment uh,
1: on the podcast or... Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: We're not even asking you to promote it. We're just saying if you're on Twitter and you want to tweet us directly and say like, hey, my favorite three episodes have been these. I'd love to see more of these when you guys are back or you know, whatever feedback you have, we would love to hear it. And we've never asked yeah. for this feedback in the last two years of doing this podcast. So this is a, uh, this is a new thing, but I'm going to ask you to do it since there's not going to be much coming out here for the next uh, probably several weeks. Um, at least so, uh, as we're getting some new things in, in motion with the podcast, so it'd, love, it'd be great to hear your feedback. Um, in the meantime, I hope you guys take care and, uh, don't unsubscribe because we will be back with more and you, we don't want you to miss it. We'd love to have you back when we're back. And, uh, yeah, I'm so sad. This is, this, this sucks. I hate this. It feels like I'm saying goodbye. Then <laughs> don't <laughs> Andrew's like, well, let's just keep doing it then. And I'm like, well, yeah. we need to well, take a I'd break. Be, yeah, why,
1: yeah, if we want to do one in a couple of weeks, we'll do one in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I I, the,
0: think, the, I think I yeah. think that is actually the best way to define this, is not to say that we're like g- going to consciously not post. It's just that we are going to uh relieve, we're gonna release the uh the the commitment of posting weekly until we get some some things in order here. Uh Uh, there's some things that need to change and I, and I'm not at liberty to say what they are uh, at this point because they involve contracts and things like that. But um, yeah, there's just some, there's some things that need to change. So there, there you have it. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting this podcast for the last two years. I cannot believe it has been that long already. And uh, I, I've loved this ritual. I will continue to love it in the future. Thank you guys so much for listening Hope you've enjoyed this one. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that. I'm at Julian was here, Andrew is at Mars Raider and we do these episodes every Monday but it won't be here next Monday and I'm gonna keep crying about it. Uh, stay subscribed, stay tuned, shout us out on Twitter. Tell us your favorite episodes, your least favorite episodes and you're not allowed to use our worst episode, whatever episode that was, I think episode 56 or something. You're not allowed to quote that one because that was intentionally our worst episode. That's why we titled it that. But we want to hear from you. And uh, yeah, whenever we pick this back up, we look forward to having you back.
1: Yep, we really look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening.